You're listening to 2.23am with Dr. Christine McDougall. Are you ready for a new kind of success and fulfillment? End the silent struggle. Join us as Dr. Christine McDougall speaks to successful, high-achieving men as they share their journey towards a more fulfilling and sustainable life and business and discover the better alternative. It's 2.23am and the life of your future is calling. I was beyond excited to have this conversation with Philip Ullman. The reason Philip is pioneering changing a 60-year-old company uh, to becoming a large large company to becoming a uh, one of the world's first social enterprises and he explains what that means during this conversation. This is a really bold move and uh, really pioneering as well. My hope is, of course, that we will see many more people, um, leaders and organisations following Philip's lead in the near future because we know that our system is broken and that we need to make change. And so Philip is really setting the stage for that. A little bit about Philip's background. He's the Chief Energizer at Cordant Group PLC. Cordant is one of the largest social enterprises in the world. It provides recruitment and facility services and operates in the UK, Ireland, all over Europe and in Australia. In the year ended 31st of December 2017, group turnover was circa £850 million and over the 12-month period, the group placed 125,000 people into various roles. Dividends to shareholders are capped as are executive salaries. Please enjoy this fantastic conversation with a pioneer of social enterprise, Philip Ullman. Philip, thank you so much for joining uh, today on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to start in the article that you wrote for um, the article From Mission to Impact on the Social Market Foundation site, which I'll have linked. You quoted... Let us redefine our relationship to profit and value. At the highest level, we are all stakeholders in the future of the planet and the future of of humanity. That's an awesome statement, by the way. I just, I loved that. Uh, In 2017, you converted your 60-year-old family business to become the largest social enterprise in the UK. Also very impressive. Can you speak about the journey you took to make this decision uh, when did this action first start to dawn on you? What books and or resources might have influenced your decision and how hard it was, if it was hard, for you to get the board and the CEO aligned to this course of action? So that's a big question, but, you know, we can get started there. The big question. Yes. Okay, start with what triggered the change. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it definitely was an epiphany. You know, uh, there was, there was a, a point where my daughter was getting married about four years ago now, and uh, we were sitting around a table with um, my s- uh, son-in-law's parents, and we're debating what uh, what should my son-in-law do uh, for a living. So he was in his final year of a, a law degree. Yes. So we had this conversation, and three out of the four of us said, yes, it's important that he, he can support the family, uh, therefore he should continue with his law degree. Uh, well, he, he's a, a natural educator and inspiring my son-in-law. He loves working with the kids. You know, he's, all his life he worked with boys and, and, and they love him, you know, and he loves that. And his, his father said, I'm not sure, you know, it's not what he loves. He, he should do what, what, what's, what he feels uh, uh, will allow him to have maximum impact. So I was, so the three of us, myself and the two mothers were favouring the law yes. uh, career. And, and his father was favouring uh, what he wanted. And, and I then reflected on, on the conversation and spent time talking to my son-in-law, future son-in-law at the time, and I felt he was right. I think that fundamentally decisions that I'd made up until then have often focused around money and 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 making making becoming wealthy, uh, whereas he had said that's not what life's about. Life's about meaning and purpose and making a difference. So, and that triggered an epiphany. So uh, I thought about life. I said, I think he's right. I think. It's a generational change, yes. uh, Christine. Yes. I think that that's what the, the older generation, my, my parents were both born before the war and, and they, they had to uh, start from scratch. My, gran- my grandfather came here from Germany and had a, 
had nothing. He actually had nothing. So he had to start with nothing. My, my, my models had a very tough time. So in their, their paradigm was making enough money to, to support themselves. I fortunately grew up in a comfortable environment uh, and therefore looked at life differently. And yes. I think the next generation are in a different position. And I think they are not focused on money. In fact, they, it's harder for them to generate wealth because of what we've all done. We've, you know, <laughs> the property prices are such that they can't buy property in this yes. country anymore. So, yes. so they've had to look at life from a different perspective. And I think they've got it right. I think so I've effectively become a, a millennial elect is the way I look upon it. I, I, I'm, my body is definitely a baby boomer, but my mind is, is a millennial. Yes. Uh, and I've realised that life is not about money. It's not about wealth. It's about impact. It's about perfecting the world. Um, and, and that's the journey I'm on. And, and the last few years, it's about putting it into practice. Right. So does that answer the first question? As to, as yeah, to... that, yeah. That yeah. So this is this was really it really was a life changing sort of epiphany uh, um, for you only recently, very recently, really. Absolutely. I've always been inclined and I've always been generous. But but in terms of my outlook on life, my mission, the mission changed at right. that point. Yes. Um, from what was a philanthropic model, we were always very generous. Let's be clear: as a business, we always gave a huge amount. Twenty uh, percent, at least, of what we made was given to charity, and to so that was always the model. So I'm yeah. not moving from a from a selfish. I'm moving from a philanthropic model to a to a, a what what I call a, a social enterprise model, which means it's not an individual who's making money, uh, generating wealth, and giving a proportion of that uh, wealth to to charity for, for good mm. purposes. It's the mission of the collective is to, to, to change the world. So it's, it's a difference. I've got tremendous respect from Bill Gates and Warren Buffett for the, the giving pledge, which I think is a tremendous move and, uh, and virtuous. But if you really want to change the world, the collective has to change um, and, and the power has to be with the collective rather than an individual who, who continues to generate wealth and to give, give it away. Uh, the mm. real way to change the world is to get the collective uh, to be focused on that mission. Yeah, very good. And so, and I agree with you. Uh, and so was there, when, when you started to have this epiphany, how did that unfold for you? And what was the, because what you've done, I, I don't want to step over the, the, uh, the, the enormity and the commitment and the, uh, just everything behind that. It's, it's quite extraordinary. So this wasn't just a little small step my understanding no no this this is enormous i think from the speak people i'm speaking to i don't think any other large organization on a scale and we're, we're turning over 850 million you know we're, we're, we replaced 125,000 people last year uh we're geographically in the uk ireland and all over europe and in australia so we're a large organization and i'm talking to lots of people now uh, and i can't find any other organization yeah that has tried to make the transition from a, a, a shareholder yes. commercial focus to a stakeholder environment, broader focus. I don't, I, I'm not sure if you've come across one, but I don't, I haven't found one yet. So to me, it's uh, who's, that have made the transition that we're looking to make. So it, it, it's uncharted waters yes. and, and, and it's, and the scale of the change is enormous. And uh, we're, we're learning as we go along. It is a journey, you know, uh, with the number of people we touch, I can't change it in five minutes. And, and uh, on that journey, there are things that we currently do, which, which I would prefer not to do because I can't change the world in five minutes. So I, I, I'm trying to influence large organizations. Uh, for example, uh, we do a lot of work for Amazon. Yes. So we spoke to Amazon about six to nine months ago. And, and a lot of the workers that we uh, employ for them are paid the minimum wage, which is not a living wage. Yes. Uh, and we said, we'd like you to move to a living wage. Now, uh, they now have done that. Christine, mm -hmm. I have no idea whether it was because of what we asked, but we definitely asked for it and yes. we discussed it. And, and they've now made a transition. So what I'm trying to do is be an influencer to be in the game, because if you're not in the game, you, you can't change the game. Uh, but but I'm recognising that, that I can't change the world in five minutes. So some of the practices uh, that, that, that are involved with our workers I would like to change, and, and we will change in due course, but, but that can't happen in an instant. Yeah, I, look, I understand. I'm not sure. Have you, have you come across, read, or listened to um, 
Yvonne Chouinard, Let My People Go Surfing, Patagonia? No, I haven't. So, no, I haven't. Yeah, so you, because I, I did also read that you, um, you, you listen to uh, books and so on early in the morning. Uh, that might be one that you want to, it's, it's, it's a really great book to listen to. So um, it's, it's uh, Patagonia, the company, the clothing company. Uh, and right. they, and they, let my people go, let my people go surfing. surfing. Yes. Yeah. And so. I've heard the Patagonia. Is, yeah. is this a story of Patagonia? Yes, it is. And, and he, he, because I found it very powerful. So the similarity of Patagonia has a, um, a very high, from, from pretty much from day one, but part of what he was saying in, in this book, and it's a couple of years old now, um, is that, again, what you were saying is that we're, we're doing everything we can to move towards, and it's a process. It's a, the, the, you, you just can't suddenly shift it and move like universes because that would be too, um, it actually wouldn't work, but it is, it, it's a committed process towards uh, the path that they're taking. Absolutely. Now, Patagonia started off with a social mission, as far as I, I, I recall. It's a, it's a, see, the difficulty that we're facing is he, so he himself, at his own organisation, he start, I, I'd imagine he started uh, with a social mission and then he has to deal with all the interrelationships that he has and how to influence the outside. I had the challenge not just of the interrelationships. I've actually got to change the organisation itself. Yes. Um, including the family and including uh, <laughs> the people that we work with so we've got the challenge of 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 building changing the culture from within as well yes um, which, which 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 is which is even that's what i think hasn't happened before as far as i can tell i'm interesting if, if anyone else has found another organization that's done it because I'd love to learn from them, but I haven't found anyone. Well, not the size. I, I, I definitely, because that's I work with organisations that are doing that. But I'm talking with um, um, uh, not even anywhere close to the size of what you're you're looking at. I'm, you know, under a hundred employees. So, okay. yeah, but, but where there is that really high commitment. And so I, I just want to, because there's a whole lot I can ask you about this. It's, it's my favourite subject of all. <laughs> but uh, so you, this, you had this epiphany. You obviously, and you sort of mentioned that, you, there was some, a lot of convincing to be done. <laughs> and there still is a lot of convincing to be done. So how have you gone about that? And, and what, what, what has worked in your favour? And what, uh, um, yeah, let's just start with that. Yeah, I haven't got the family there yet. Okay. The family, I don't think, I don't think my parents will ever get there. No, I, I love them dearly, but but they're they're in a different paradigm, you know. Yes. And, and so they won't get there. And 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 uh, but but um, I'm, I'm authentic. You see, I, I just tell it the way it is. I, I've um, over the years had five near-death experiences in, in the business world. Well, not died physically, but where the business has almost right. um, almost been lost for various reasons. Uh, and so I've built up resilience over the years, but, but I, I, I tell it the way it is. I, I'm not worried about what other people say or think about me, which is unusual. Um, and therefore, uh, I come across as authentic on the whole. So yes. people listen to what I say, um, and, and they may not agree, but they, they like the passion, they like the authenticity. Um, and, and what's happening is, is I'm connecting with, with people um, in government, um, it, 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 in lots of large organisations, and the platforms are, are, are growing. And I'm finding when I'm talking to large audiences, on the whole, the, the message is getting home. And there's definitely a generational difference. That the, the millennials come up to me and say, we, we love what you're saying. You're saying what we're all thinking. Mm. Um, and the older generation struggle so there's definitely a generational gap here right um, and I think that's, but but it's the authenticity the passion uh, and also the the, the determination that the transition that we're talking about is huge we're almost talking about changing the paradigm yeah. that the world is facing you know yes. uh, but it, but because I've been fortunate enough to grow a large organization over 22 years uh, and almost lost it many times I don't get daunted. I always look at it one day at a time. It doesn't matter what the world throws at me. I'm, I will continue to persist and, and, and to take one day at a time and, and, and we'll get there. So that's the reason yeah. why I think people are listening. 
Very good. Uh, so can you just say a couple of things about what what are the changes specifically that you've currently put in place? Yeah, so the starting point was to cap dividends for the family, uh, to cap remuneration for the uh, directors at 20 times the lowest paid, mm-hmm. uh, and to look to introduce profit sharing. So, so that was the first, and that's the major change that, that was the transition. So we're now focused on society and environment, not purely on the, on the state, on the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Now yes. that is a transition. You know, I'm turning around business at the same time with a, a very powerful and strong team. When I say I am, I, probably the wrong thing to say, my, my title is Chief Energizer. So I, I create an environment where others thrive, but I don't actually do the work. I've got a phenomenal team around me that, that, that actually make it happen. Um, but it's 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 a journey. So the last couple of years, we've been in turnaround mode. So people ask me, how much money are you now um, giving to, to social enterprise? The answer is not a huge amount more than we have in the past because we have to transform the business. But uh, And that's happening. We're, we're well on the way. But the, the seeds that we're planting, the feedback we're getting from business from it is unbelievable. And we're starting to win sizable contracts on the back of our mission now. Yeah. We've only been, so last year, and it's starting to happen now, yes, yeah? so we're winning contracts where people are saying, we're giving you this business because of your social mission, which I think is, is powerful. Very, very powerful. I just read uh, one of my, my colleagues uh, wrote a piece and he said, uh, people earn in two economies, the economy of the dollar to pay bills and put food on the table. But what, people, what keeps people in a company and engaged is in the work of earning the economy of meaning. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not sure in all the work that I've done, actually, that it's, it's so much generational. Uh, I, I actually believe that if more people had the experience of doing meaningful work where they could give back, uh, they would have that opportunity. But as you said, and as, as I talk about with, um, is we don't have the maps for that. And it is a new pathway. And, and we are building, uh, we are building new models. And uh, I, um, my, my main teacher, Bucky Fuller, would say, don't try and change the existing model, build a new model that makes the existing one obsolete. And, and then, I agree with, yeah, just older people, older people have a, have a, more inertia. Yes. If you're, if you, my, my father's eighty nine. Yes. Turning ninety, uh, it's hard for somebody at that age. Yes. To, to adopt a new paradigm. Whilst it, it's just hard, I accept that, that it's not impossible. But it's much harder. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with the and and there's a level of of uh, safety and so on, uh, and and the the uncertainty that um, um, comes with that. So so uh, you you also had this. You made this comment: um, capitalism, capitalism isn't working anymore. It, it isn't. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> so no, I'm. Gonna, clearly, yeah. Going. yeah well, so the question that I was going to ask you, I'm curious because you would meet uh, quite a significant number of leaders and CEOs in your line of work, and if you could guess, and this is just obviously it's a guess, we don't have any proof around this, but speaking in percentages, how many CEOs and business leaders might actually have reached the same conclusion about capitalism and about the model, but because there are no maps and there are no models and there are uh, no uh, frontier people like yourself, it's kind of like, I don't know what to do about this. So I'm asking for, you know, because I actually think this is more common than you think. I completely agree with that. I think it's the vast majority, genuinely. But yes. the trouble is they're constrained. So I've spoken to many, many people uh, who are connected with FTSE listed directors, uh, uh, and they say that the, the vast majority want to make the change. But as you say, that the, the maps are not there. But more importantly, that the, the institutions are focused on the short term, are focused on uh, profits and, and GDP growth. And therefore, uh, the way I look at it is... is that, the world is, is entering a new paradigm. Every time the way data is transmitted uh, changes, uh, the institutions of society have to change. So the last time this happened was in the 15th century with uh, the Gutenberg and the printing press. Yes. Um, and, and that changed the way information was communicated. Suddenly you could uh, publish books and, and distribute them very quickly. 
That resulted in the current set of institutions, liberal democracy, capitalism, the company, all of that happens because of that paradigm. Yes. Uh, now you can communicate with the world in an instant via the internet and, and, and a smartphone, which means that those institutions simply don't work. It's nobody's fault, but that they were designed for communication by the printing press, which takes time yeah. to, to, to create a book, isn't instantaneous. So th th they are not fit for purpose. And what will now start to happen is we have to redesign capitalism and liberal democracy to fit the instantaneous communication of uh, the internet and the smartphone. And that's what's happening now. Uh, and, and that's why, but, but there's a recognition in, your, in answer to your question, I have no doubt that the vast majority are not content with what they're doing uh, in the large companies. And if they had a, 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 route, a, a roadmap, they would take it. I have no doubts. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really do agree with you. In fact, I've asked many of the um, executives that I've worked with over the years that, that question, and, uh, and they've all felt very much the same. And so, well, first of all, I'm in advance of, <laughs> but I'm just going to say I just, I'm just really excited and delighted that you are, you are leading the frontier of this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, and uh, because we do actually need new models and the recognition that it is an imperfect, perfect process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's happening here is I'm looking to create almost the map that you describe. Yes. Um, I'd like Cordant Group to become a model organisation. So to that end, um, the British Academy is running a project, The Future of the Corporation. You'll find a lot of information about it online where they've got lots of leading academics from around the world working under Professor Colin Mayer of Oxford University yes. um, to, to redefine capitalism. Yes. And, um, and, and I'm on the, the advisory board, and they are planning to work with us to use Cordon as a case study. So we want to produce this map, and I think that that is the key. Once the map is there, and I think this, this project with, with, with uh, Colin Mayer will be very influential, and I think... Governments will take note. I'm, I'm sure the legislation needs to change. I know that Macron uh, pick, uh, has changed legislation in France yes. as we speak. A few weeks. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but he's he picked us. Uh, I was picked up by uh, a French organisation that that, that that is working with Macron on um, redefining capitalism there. Yes, because he he, he recognises the challenge. So what what he's already done is he said the purpose of the corporation is to achieve a mission um, for, the purpose, for the sake of the environment and society. Mm -hmm. So there's no shareholder primacy, that's gone. Uh, and and uh, it wasn't really there in the French constitution, but a lot of companies were focused on profit as a motive. And he said, no, it's about society and the environment. And they've also created an entreprise en mission, which is a uh, company with a mission. And there's two characteristics. One. Uh, it has to publish its social mission. Two, it has to measure impact against that mission. And three, it has to appoint an advisory board to hold the board to account, but to give the board the space that it needs. That, to me, is the key. You need to give space to the leadership team to allow them to make this transition. That's yes. the key. And, then you need, and, and that's what the city in London and in America does not do to the CEOs. You know, Larry Fink has spoken about... Uh, every organisation having a social mission, a social purpose, but unless the institutions give the space to the leaders to make the change, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, 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 I really agree with that. Um, and I wanted to sort of mention here that you, you're, you're really looking at this um, from social contract to social covenant, but, but really having as part of the company, so having um, cordant have a clear and transparent social mission as part of its 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 annual reporting operations and uh, and and uh, that, that there is some governance and guidance around that from I think um, external or something like that I, I if that I'm not sure if I got the model right but that's kind of what I'm thinking I read you're right it's all about the relationship so yeah I'm starting to talk more and more about the move from co from contract to covenant. Yes. So we there's two ways um, of building um, relationships. 
there's contractual relationships and, and covenantal relationship. In a, co a contractual relationship, I have my interests, you have your interests, uh, I give you money, you provide me a service or a product. In the case of the state, I pay my taxes and, and you provide me services, which is a social contract. That is about me as a, a, a thing. It, it's about my interests um, and, yeah. and, and it's, it's about competition. What we need to move towards is a model based around covenant, where I have my own identity. I, I'm not a thing. I'm a, a person with values and beliefs and uh, I'm a human being and, and, and so are you. you you're you're a, a person with values and beliefs. You're different to me, but, but, but you're human. And we, we form a relationship to achieve together what we can't achieve separately by collaborating. Yes. Uh, and, it's, it's, and that's a fundamental change. It, it's a moving away from competition for my, for my own sake to collaboration for the common good. And I think that's at the heart of this transition. We have to change relationships from contractual to covenantal. And I think in a nutshell, that, that's the, the, the pivotal change. Yes, that's a really lovely uh, and a really powerful thing to look at and move towards because living in that as well is, uh, is a whole lot of different things that we start to measure as value. Uh, and and um, for me, you know, some of the, you mentioned GDP growth and so on. Have you, I, I'm pretty sure you would have come across some donut economics yeah. <laughs> I read Donut Economics last week. Oh, so right. <laughs> Fresh. I, I, I love it. I, I think she's, she's spot on, absolutely spot on. And I think, you know, we're talking about AI now yes. and what's going to happen when uh, all these jobs are automated. Um, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a problem because I think there's so many interpersonal jobs that we're not currently doing in education and healthcare. But even more so, I think. When, when she talks about the, the um, environment and circular economy, I think that's where jobs are going to come because we have to re-look at manufacturing and say that this is not, the whole model is wrong. Yes. At the moment, no, we're worried about the manufacturing that's moved to China and, and the fact that it's resulted in, in a few manufacturing jobs in the UK and the US. But what we're missing is the whole model is going to change because yes. if we start focusing on the environment and the planet, the, the process is not going to be tweaked. It's not going to be a few carbon credits here and there. Yes. It's going to be a, a completely circular design of manufacturing, which, which protects the environment uh, by intrinsically designing it into the process. And that is a completely new paradigm. Yes. And if we start thinking about that, it means the UK and the US can actually start again and have a competitive advantage over China and the Far East. And I think we're missing this because I think it's a massive opportunity. Yes, yes, very definitely. Uh, I have a I have a very good friend. Uh, he was actually the architect of the CNBC IQ 100 index, which is the world's first Dow Jones industrial equivalent for innovation, and uh, it's two years old now. Um, and, but he he talks about charity as an after tax of a business that is actually not functioning for society. And that, you know, I often say to people, and this sort of circles back, but it is within the circular economy and with donut economics that we should, the, the world that I want, the more beautiful world that I hold is one where charity is no longer needed. Because I completely agree with you. Yeah. No, I, you're, you're spot on. Um, it's another way of putting it is rather than redistributing, it's yes. not just charity, it's pre-distributing. Correct. It's, it's getting the collective to make decisions in the right paradigm rather than retrofitting it either by the state taxing it and redistributing it or charity redistributing it those are all retrofits we've got to get the, the fundamental model right yes yes and and I mean my 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 personal premise is that all every human I've ever met actually <laughs> Uh, has has does want to come together and work on projects with other humans that supports something that they care about and generally doesn't do any harm. 
and that they get not acknowledged and recognized for that and that there is the opportunity for community collaboration collective wisdom all of that sort of stuff i've actually never met a human who doesn't really want to do that at some level and it sort of comes back to we just haven't developed the maps and the tools and the ways that we can do that without it falling into what i call a messy human heap or a or a um, human as human as machine human as industrial with that now we all have two aspects to our nature every single one of us we have this competitive uh, instinct which is about me and and, and and fight and flight and protecting myself which is about profit and gdp growth yeah and we've got social collaborative being which is about making a difference about working together with people about love about compassion and and that has been crushed by the, the, the winning fight or flight uh, competitive mode. Mm. And, and, and I completely agree with you. It's not about utility. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about, which is what the economists talk about. It's not about, it, it's about uh, improving the world, uh, making a difference. That's what we all thrive and, and seek. It's that we make a difference to our family, to our community, to society. And that's what replaces the focus on on hedonism and, and, and happiness. It's it's making a difference that really matters. Yes. Very nice. So you talk as well um, about self-managed teams. So can you tell me what that means to you? What is a self-managed team? Yes. Yeah, so, so again, it's the key. It's, it's how do you build covenantal relationships? You've got to eliminate hierarchy because hierarchy doesn't give people the scope to, to innovate. So whether it's in the state or in uh, large businesses, they're both hierarchical. And uh, in order to allow people the space to innovate, you need to create what Lou talked about, self-managing teams uh, of 10 to 12 people that, that, it, that is autonomous as a unit, that has a, a mission or a purpose. And the key here is, is that the, the, the team is not subject to instructions and commands from outside. So if they're a central support function, they're supporting that team. They are advising the team. So that's the key. I think the one point that if anybody listens to this podcast uh, should focus on is how we make decisions has to change. Uh, it, it's it's what the Lou calls, I'm sure you know this, the, the advice process. And I think yes. that, that is the fundamental change where, whereby you, you give people within the, the 10 to 12 uh, man team or woman team a responsibility for making the decision. So this and they make the decision with two obligations. They have to check with every, and, and consult with any, anybody that's impacted by the decision and anybody that has advice to offer. But the person makes the decision themselves. Yes. Now that's not voting because the trouble with voting is you don't get accountability as is happening in the UK. Theresa May is doing her best to implement what she didn't actually vote for. She was against Brexit and, and the trouble with that, and, and in fact, the, the, the civil service were against Brexit. So when you have people who didn't vote for a change, making that change, um, it, it doesn't work because they don't fundamentally believe in it. So, so uh, it's not uh, voting, that's not the way to make these decisions. And it's not consensus either, because in a consensus, you, uh, one person can say no, and, and that blocks the change. So the concept of the advice process, which uh, creates responsibility within the individual, but also gives everyone else the right to, to express their voice, their concerns, to me is central to the change in both capitalism and the state. We have to follow the advice process, uh, which of course you know that, that Bert Sog and Joost de Bloch has yeah. act, actually done in, in Holland. And, and it fundamentally works. It means you start making decisions in the right way. And I think that's central to, to, to the transition. So self-managing teams are right at the heart of, of this transition. Okay, great. So, because that was, I was going to ask you, um, so from your point of view, these are intrinsically linked because you're talking about, Frederick speaks about it in his book, um, Integral Theory, uh, which I've been trained in for coming up to two decades now. And so the, the, because you're talking about the model of capitalism is the, uh, is the, is the engagement in the world sort of in the exterior, but you're also talking about the, the interior design and structure of the organization and how people are coordinated and and so on which is the self-managed teams 
And so you see those those two areas as very linked. Yeah, I, I, I buy into integral theory. We got to get the minds of the individual and the minds of the organisation, right? So in, in terms of an organisation, it's the culture. In terms of the individual, it's the mind. We've got to think from the inside out. We've got to do the right thing and not do what we believe the way we're perceived looks, makes us look good. We've got to just do the right thing. So we have to have the right mindsets as individuals, which is inside out thinking is the way uh, I like it described. And for an organisation, we have to have a culture which is focused uh, on, on perfecting the world and, and, and do, again, doing the right thing. And then that's the, 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 in, uh, the, in the mind. And then we've got to have the processes, and, 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 uh, which, is, uh, uh, which are correct, to make it happen. And, 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 and for the organisation, that's having a right set of systems and processes, which is self-managing teams, um, which is effectively the, the, the structure um, and the, the processes which enable it to happen. So you need to have both. You need to have the right mindset and the right set of uh, processes and externally. So I, I, I'm a complete believer in integral theory. I think they've got it right. Right. So, so Philip, uh, this is obviously, <laughs> you're definitely the chief energizer. <laughs> There's no question. <laughs> um, I, I, I love that title, uh, but you definitely, there's definitely no doubt that you are that. Uh, you, uh, so in, in your role, um, I, I actually am talking now, um, in fact, I'm just pretty much committing to writing a book about the future of leadership as, a, as the steward, leader as steward. Uh, because I and, and for me the stewarding role is a is more of a um, and I I'm, I have a science medical science background so I think of cell biology but the steward is more like the cell membrane of a, a the membrane of the organisation uh, and and so there's a, there's a holding place for that which is rather than the the, the traditional dominator hierarchical structure. Uh, the steward, steward as leader is is there's much there's a, a guidance stewarding holding, um, but also making sure that the because the cell membrane enables the right flow of uh, in and out of the cell, but also protects things from coming in and things from leaving. But the other role of the cell membrane is to be acutely tuned into both the interior of the cell, so the organisation and the exterior world and the the larger exterior world and the future, uh, and so on. So there's a there's a really high caliber tunable um, requirement for a steward leader. It's even bigger than that. Yeah. It's bigger. I'm, the, we, the way I look at it is we don't own anything. Yes. We only have a finite number of years on this planet. Uh, and therefore, the concept, and, and that's what Gates and, and, and Buffett have got to, you know, with the concept of, of the giving pledge. They're recognising we've only got a certain number of years. Therefore, none of us own anything because it's not ours forever. Yeah. And therefore, the, the, we're all stewards. Yes. And, and, and that's a key transition. We have to recognise that our, our mission is to not own and for ourselves, but to, but to create an environment where organisations can thrive, people can thrive. And, and stewardship is the, I love that word, and I'm, I'm using it rather than ownership. I think ownership is, is the old model. Yeah. We have to move to, and, and Lelou talks about the same thing, and I think he's right there again. We have to think about stewardship because it focuses on others, doesn't it? If you own, it's me, it's mine, it's all about what I own. But if you move to a stewardship, stewardship's focus on others, isn't it? What can I do for others? What can I do for society? So I think that's a key transition. Yeah, and and it, it it's there. There is a, uh, um, it's not so much a protection. Well, it's piece. It's a piece of it is protection, uh, guidance. Uh, so there is a part of it that's protection, uh, but but it is it, it is a requirement. And it's kind of the again the the antithesis of the the revered leader, which is slam dunk, wall to wall, busy, uh, and you know that there's that that whole mythology that leaders don't have that they're all so busy. And but I, I actually go well. In actual fact, if you're stewarding an organisation, you you have to take time to to have deep contemplation about what you're doing. Completely right. It's the move from mechanical 
from a machine-based world uh, to a living organism, living, living ecosystem. Yes. And, and you need space. And, and I agree with you that most people have not got that space. They, they, they have back-to-back meetings. I don't. I, I, I never have that. I, 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 at some point when I made this kind of, I had this epiphany, it scared me because my diary was empty. <laughs> um, but you, you, know, you won't, what am I going to do? But fortunately, there's so much to do. It just happens organically. You don't waste time, but you don't have as much pre-organised mechanical work. You have much more responsive, uh, reactive work. You you, you, you react to the world, which I think is the way we have to become. Um, uh, It's it's, it's about being rather than becoming. It's about uh, actually in the moment uh, responding to people. It's a completely different mindset. And and I was having a chat with my CFO yesterday and uh, with with the banks he, he he wants to have time to think but he hasn't got the time because he's uh, has to do lots of things in his process and and that is a problem because you can't change the world if you're busy doing all the time you yeah. haven't got the time to think you haven't got the space yeah yeah and you mentioned in the article where i came across you um in the times i think it was a day in the life of that that you actually do have a fairly uh robust um, I think it said that you go to the synagogue every day or something like that. But you do create this time for, I, I would understand, to, to be in some, your form of contemplation. Yeah, absolutely. That's key. Uh, whether it's first thing in the morning. To me, it's about thinking and, 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 and that space is critical. It, that's, that's the major, one of the major changes. It's giving your space, your time, uh, yourself time to think about what life's really about. What do I do? I want a yacht and 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 billions of pounds of money, or do I want to make a difference to this world and and to change the paradigm? And I think about that a lot. Um, and 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 I've got the space to do that. And I think that's what the the, the leaders' organisations should not be chief executives. They should be energizers or um, facilitators that the, the, the coach. You talk about your own background in coaching. It, it's about making space for others, and 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 that's the key. You need, we need to create space in our lives. And, and you look at when you start to, to sit back and think about things, you, you realise I'm, I'm stuck in a rut. You know, I've been doing the same thing. We've been trying capitalism and statism for, for, for decades and neither of them work. And we just continue to make the same mistakes. But when you sit back and give yourself space, you realise there is another solution. Uh, it's covenantal. It's about uh, relationships and people. And you can only do that with with the space, and and that's to me as as I said in that article, I I, I have my faith is critical to me, uh, and and it enables me to recognise that I'm accountable to somebody outside myself. It's not just about me. I'm, I'm accountable to somebody else, to to, to another being, and and that changes the focus. Mm, yeah, lovely. And so, can I ask you, given that this is a, this the epiphany and the actions that you've taken have been very recent, really. Uh, what's the biggest change that you've made that you've noticed about who you are on? Uh, so there's two parts to this. The biggest change you've made to who you are, but how that are uh, um, the areas that you struggle with the change the most, you know, the area that is the most tension for you? Yeah, I'm naturally very competitive and, and uh, argumentative is probably the way. So, uh, and, and I... In the past, I've kind of tried to tell people you're wrong. Uh, what I'm saying is right, and and I'm beginning to realise that that, that 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 doesn't work. That, that telling people they're wrong and trying to force them to to think the way you is not the right approach. The right approach is to is a more compassionate approach, whereby you 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 work with people, you listen to people, uh, and you build relationships with people, and you don't tell people what you must do. You, you work, and I think that, that it's, it, that's a transition. Naturally, I, I, I've always, almost, because I have strong opinions, I've told people that you're wrong, and I'm learning that doesn't work. That's not the <laughs> no. I'm moving away from that. And, and that's something I have to work on all the time. And, and, and fundamentally, it's, it's interesting, because when you make it this transition, we, we, I've lived my life until, what is it, for 40, 45 to 50 years in another paradigm, and if you're not careful... You, you slip back into that old paradigm, you know, uh, you, you, you don't, you've changed the way you think, but, but there's always this inclination to go back to what you used to do. And therefore, I asked the team, the top team, to tell me if, if I've 
slipping back into my old ways of 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 uh, less of more command and control yeah. and less um, um, uh, covenantal. Yes. Yeah, it's stewardship, and, and, and it's what Lalu talks about holding the space. Yeah. We, we need to hold space because if then that's the key. We've got to get governance right, and if you don't get governance right and you don't have a structure which is robust, you'll go back to the old ways, and I yeah. think that's that's what's happened uh, in many organizations they've tried to make this transition and 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 you make mistakes on the way because inevitably when you're doing something new you're going to get it wrong on occasions and unless you've got the right governance structure and you can hold that space it it it, it won't happen the change will not take hold right yeah i very much so uh, and we it's i think what you just said in shorthand is that moving away from a dominator hierarchy you you, you got to live not being dominant <laughs> no, you do. yeah. I recognize that i can't force people to do things they've got to yeah. make decisions and and we've all grown up in a certain paradigm and and it's behavioral change which which doesn't happen in an instant so we revert back to time and i've got to work on that Speaking of that, have you come across uh, the term deliberately developmental organisations? No, I haven't. Okay, so there you go. There's your next book. Um, <laughs> the book is <laughs> the book is an everyone culture by Robert Keegan. There's sev several authors, but Robert Keegan is the one that I know, uh, and uh, he's a Harvard professor. And he, it, you'll love it as well because it's the study of three organisations, including uh, so three very diverse organisations, and how they've incorporated deliberate development into their organizational design so just like a self-managed system um, you actually as well build in the cultural development and Ray Dalio who is the founding CEO of I'm just blanking on the name it's one of the world's largest hedge funds um, so Ray Dalio he, he's also published a book called Principles which I actually couldn't read. It was just, it, there was too many principles. I, I, it was too complex for me. I think principles should be numbered at, at the maximum on both hands. Um, oh, anyway. That's, that's many for me. Yeah. No, I, I didn't go more than three. Yeah, well, he, he has something like two, two, 200. Uh, yeah, so, oh, um, no, yeah. No, that's the trouble I got with the UN. I think the SDGs, the Sustainability Development Goals, are good. Trouble is, there are, there are, there are yeah. um, 19 goals and 169 different targets, which is far, far too many for the human mind to cope with. We have to limit it to, to me, maximum three. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, an everyone culture is the study of three very diverse organisations who have built in this deliberate developmental into the into the actual architecture of their organisational design. And so, uh, you know, I, I believe that these both the self managed uh, um, the, the self managed systems plus the deliberate development into that, uh, because that keeps us all. No matter what what uh, level of leadership, whether it's the executive, everyone's up for the same. Everyone's up for the same development, and it's in in development in time versus. Off, and it doesn't mean that you don't do offsites and you don't do retreats and so on. But but the real activation is through the structure. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's again, it's in the moment. It's 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 it's. I mean, I, I'm involved in more and more panels where, where you're sitting on platforms and, and the structure isn't any good because you can call it an off-site. I mean, you've got people sitting on a platform. Each person gives their own 10-minute presentation. Yeah. And in the end, you have five minutes of questions in the end. To me, that is not in the moment. That is, that is planned. That's mechanical. Yeah. We need to move towards much more interactive in the moment conversation where you start the conversation with a what what do you want to know and I'm, I'm doing that more and more others don't like it because people from the old paradigm are not happy to be confronted they, they they're not happy with the free-flowing yeah. um engagement but i think we need that because that's the only way you make change yeah yeah um, yeah i you know i call that that that's the emergent uh, and so it's so interesting that you say that because um in in all of the groups and teams that i've facilitated over the years i have uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I sit down and say, what is the outcome that you're really aiming to achieve here? And, uh, and then we determine the breaks and then I start at the beginning and I have no idea where I'm going to go next. 
but it, which is the way this conversation has gone, and, yeah. and that's why we've gone all over the place. But it, but, but not everybody's got that mind. I mean, I, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> when I grew up, my, my mum and I and and the kids, my sisters, we, we we jump around. My dad will be about four conversations back right. uh, because he works in a very sequential way. Whereas we 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 jump all over the place, but we we cover lots of issues, and and that's the best way. <laughs> Works. And I do, I, I do appreciate that some people find that frustrating. But in actual fact, it, it, almost I've never not reached the outcome. And the, and really, if you trust that process, this is again that stewarding and facilitating role. The the miracles okay. that the miracles that fall out of that are just beyond what I could ever do if I sat down and structured a program down to the ten minute intervals. Uh, and so it's why people don't trust politicians, you know, yeah. because they give speeches which are long, and and, and again, it's it's um, it's mechanical. Yes. With with a, with a, with, a, with, a, with questions at the end, and they choose who they ask the questions. It's all too pre-programmed, and to build trust, as you said, you've got to have a free-form, free-flowing conversation where anybody can say anything and not be crushed by the, yeah. the team. Yeah, there still needs to be some structure and some boundaries, but it's the, that beautiful combination of not too tight, not too loose, uh, to enable that creativity to come through. Uh, it's what Lulu calls wholeness, isn't it? It's yes. wholeness. It's allowing yeah. you to bring your whole self to yeah. work. Yes. Um, and and not not and when you have conversations, you 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 don't answer the question the way you believe that the person asking the question wants it answered. You 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 express your own views and you challenge each other openly. Yes. Uh, and, and and that's that's the, the second characteristic Lou talks about. I think is right. Wholeness um, is is key. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I I just really love the idea of um, allowing people to show up. It doesn't mean that they're an emotional mess or anything, but allowing people to show up in in their full contribution versus in their partial. Um, and I just know from my own experience that that's where brilliance comes out um, when you create that space. So, I agree. Yeah. And so just a couple of personal questions before we sort of cl close down. Um, these are optional questions. But have you, and particularly in this last, this last period of time where you've made this very significant transition, have you had any doubts, dark nights, uh, going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Oops. Of course. Yes. Of course. No. Regularly. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, at lasting at night, uh, things look different. It's always lasting at night in my case, and and, and the world looks bleak, um, and 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 and, and you, you, you panic, and you say, "Have I got this right?" But it's incredible what a night's sleep does. And you wake up in the morning completely revived and full of energy, and you say, "What what was that last night?" I mean, it's almost a different world, but it happens to me regularly. But but this is what I talk about: the, the near death experiences that I've had. I've had this so many times. You, you know, you, you learn how to get yourself out of that mindset um, because we're, we're all humans and we all have doubts. Um, so yeah, the answer is regularly. So, so when you say near death experiences, you're actually talking about near death as a company. Just want to. You're not me. No, yeah, unfortunately, no, fortunately, no, near death where uh, others don't like what we're doing and have tried to stop us doing it. Right. Um, and fortunately, have failed. Okay. So. So, so when you have those doubts, you say they generally come at night. And do you? Is there any process that you have to sort of like kiss them goodbye before you get to sleep, or do you yeah, have? Yes, there is. I, I watch a murder mystery. Just uh, <laughs> the last half an hour, forty-five minutes. I just watch Rosalie and Isles, or one of the something on Alibi, which, which takes my mind completely off. Right. What I've been thinking about, and and that complete break, and then then you sleep, and to me you almost you, you the way the way I think it's a bit like a, a smartphone with lots of apps running simultaneously, lasting at night, and and none of them work properly because it slows grinds to a halt. You then turn the smartphone off, reboot in the morning. You, the, the RAM is is empty, um, and 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 the, and the, the app <laughs> suddenly works at full speed again. So that that's the the the, the, re, the, the, the resetting the, the wiping of the RAM is the way I look at it. Very nice. That's a lovely. That's a lovely, lovely um, way of looking at it. So, tell me what your relationship now is with power. Yes. So, um, I, I, to me, I, I almost call myself a, a, 
uh, and I kind of class, there are two uh, idols as far as I see it, which is money and power. Mm-hmm. And I think both of those um, have to make way for influence. So um, I think power, which is about hierarchy, forcing people to behave in a certain way, doesn't work. And I think uh, striving for wealth also is, is about, it's linked to power. It's I want power via having lots of money. Both of those to me are icons that, that are, need to be uh, effectively slayed. And, 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 and we have to move to a paradigm of influence. It's, it's like um, a comparison between water and and fire so if you have both power and wealth to me are like water if you have a, a, a bucket of water and you share it with 10 other people you pour into 10 buckets you have a tenth each because the power and the wealth is shared amongst 10 10 people but fire is different fire grows exponentially yes. so fire is influences if i could influence you and other people listening to this podcast and and they buy into what I'm saying. They themselves can influence as many people as I can. Yes. So it, it's influence that's the driver, not power or wealth. Yes. Very nice. I, I, I often ask people, what is it that you really want to scale? And, uh, and there are some things that we scale, like, like you said, light, uh, like fire, like love, like joy, like yeah. energy that you have and so on. That Social goods. Social goods. Love passion, influence, um, it's the social goods that, 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 that uh, are the future. Yes. Those things that we share. Yeah. And, the, and there is no scarcity of them. The, the more you give of those, the more there is of them. <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't go, it doesn't, it's just not the model that we have operating generally in business, which is built on, of course, the scarcity model. The way Lulu describes it, I completely agree with, is we move from fear and scarcity to trust and abundance. There's enough resource here to look after all of us. It's not not being distributed because, as you say, capitalism has no mechanism for distributing wealth. It's good at innovation, but itself is focused on one stakeholder, which means it doesn't cope with distribution. What we need to do is, is, is move to mechanisms which distribute the wealth within the collective. Um, and, 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 and then we'll see this, this as there's no scarcity of resource. There's no shortage of, yeah. uh, I mean, we're so good at technology. We're so good at uh, innovating. The trouble is <laughs> the, the mechanism isn't distributing it. It's not that it's not there. There's plenty of resource, as you say. Yeah, yeah, yes. Very nice. I could uh, have this conversation um, for a very long time. Are you are you tracking? Are you capturing? Is is there a way that you are doing a case study of what you're doing? Yes, a number of people have asked me that question, but but I think with the British Academy Future the Corporation Project, we will document the transition. It's a journey, you know. It's we, yeah. we haven't got to the end. It's going to take uh, a lot of time, but we we will document what we're doing so that others can share, and we, we, we want to engage with others. So the answer is we'll definitely document this and, and it will be written up. Yeah, very nice. And, and I do think, uh, as I said, refer back to um, Let My People Go Surfing because there's, while he might have, and he didn't actually start the business so much as a social mission, he was a social kind of guy to start with. It was a hobby <laughs> that he started. <laughs> uh, but but it, it, very similar sort of uh, thread through that, which is they're still on the journey. They've still got a long way to go. They're doing some things right. You know, they've made some mistakes. I love what they're doing. I, I don't know whether you've become, you're familiar with what they're doing. Doing now with uh, land preservation and so on under the Trump administration, but they're really. No, yeah. I've heard of Patagonia. I'm not close to what they're doing. Yeah, well, they, they break the rules. Uh, so, for example, they make the jacket that they tell you if you buy this jacket, we will guarantee this jacket for your life, and that doesn't fit the retail model of uh, successful retail business. <laughs> So they break the rules and that's, you know, it's quite extraordinary. It's quite an extraordinary model. So anyway, I wanted to say that uh, it is such an enormous delight to have met you and to see that you are, you are literally pioneering this. And, uh, and I, I, I believe that uh, with your guidance that whatever is going to be thrown at you from the incumbency and, and so on, you'll pull through and um, what a privilege the world will have to have 
your uh, model to look towards. So thank you for that. Thank you for those kind words. <laughs> no, really, I, I really, really, heart, hand on my heart, I really believe that. So um, it, uh, we'll have uh, how, to, how to find you and all the details in the show notes, as, as, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I just really wanted to thank you very much, Philip, um, for what you're doing in the world and for showing us the way. My pleasure. Thank you for your sign. Lovely. To listen to more of these conversations and access the show notes, visit 223am.com. That's the number two, the number two, the number three am.com and experience a whole new kind of success and fulfillment. If you've got what it takes, experience a session directly with Dr. Christine McDougall. Visit 223am.com and apply now. Thanks for listening.